This is Tales from the Quarantine. Okay, everyone, welcome back to an episode of Tales from the Quarantine. Today is my first international guest uh, from the giant country of the United States of America, Mike. You're you're from New Jersey, I believe you told me. That is correct. Yeah, how is how's everything going on down there? Well, when you say down there, do you mean my generally geographical area or do you mean like collectively <laughs> the United States? Well, <laughs> because that's, uh... that could be a very loaded question, my friends. Yeah, I've already done a fairly loaded podcast about certain subjects, but uh, let's uh, let's talk more about you. You like uh, what's sure. uh, what's your uh, what's going on? Well, first, well, you I can say this: you're uh, you have your own podcast. That's you're keeping yes. busy. Yes, so. yes, I'm keeping a little bit busy. And Sean, you helped me out with the uh, with the first two episodes, so thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was originally meant to be one episode, but it just was way too long. Um, well, here's the thing. So, you know, the, the podcast is called We Are Starfleet, and it is a uh, Star Trek-oriented podcast focusing on the Star Trek Discovery series, which launched back in 2017. And when you and I recorded, it turned out to be like three-and-a-half-hour-long conversation um was dragged until like 11 o'clock at night <laughs> yeah it was long yeah uh but it was good and and we covered a lot of ground we covered uh all the season one um just recapping the episodes you know talking a little bit about you know little little fun tidbits and easter eggs and talking some of the philosophy of it and it was a lot of fun i actually i got some really good feedback uh from a buddy of mine he actually hasn't seen the show um but he does like star trek he's watched all the next generation he's watched all of voyager um and he just finished watching picard and he'd never watched discovery but he's like you know what like after listening to your podcast now i have to because you know he had no idea it was so um i uh he used the term gritty and realistic which i i tend to agree with uh that show definitely brought a certain level of realism to it. Um, but he didn't know it was that intense. He thought it was just kind of like another another type of Star Trek show similar to Enterprise um, or the reboot movies. So he wasn't too interested. But now he's on board. So we accomplished our mission. Yay. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad that uh, your your creativity is spawning more viewers for, you know, uh, what, are, what are they called now? Is it just Paramount, Viacom? I don't know who owns them now anymore. Uh, via <laughs> CBS, yeah, yeah, CBS, but yep. uh, yeah, no, that it was a really good, really good show, and I'm glad that uh, I was able to help uh, pop your uh, podcast ownership cherry, yeah. and uh, yeah, no, it was, it was fun, um, yeah. So, besides creating this new, hopefully, super popular podcast, uh, that will surpass this show probably real quick because you know, fans, um. What else have you been doing to keep yourself busy during these COVID times? Oh, man. Well, in order to properly give the story, um, we need to go back pre-COVID era, uh, circa 2019, which wasn't that long ago, but these days Mm. it feels like a generation. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Uh, So um, my wife and I were, uh, we were living in Brooklyn, New York uh, last year. And um, 
I would say maybe around this time last year, we started seriously looking at houses. And we found a house in New Jersey that we really liked after, I would say, um, an entire summer of looking at different houses, different areas, different locations. Um, and it was all it was all central. Uh, we both work in New York City. So we had to be able to commute into the city in a reasonable fashion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had certain um, uh, certain parameters that we wanted to follow in the house. Like we want this and we don't want that. And we want to make sure we get this and we want to make sure that we're not overspending on that. Uh, and one of the things for both of us was, you know, we don't want to have to have two cars. You know, we're a one car family. Uh, it's just the two of us. We don't need two cars. Right. Mm-hmm. So. We had to be close to transportation. And, um, you know, the funny thing is, it was, uh, I think, like November 3rd, November 4th. And we happened to go out um, to do a, uh, we're, we're both amateur athletes, I guess you would call us. And uh, we both went out, we did a race in New Jersey. And then immediately following that, um, we looked at a house with our realtor and we showed up to the house, uh, you know, in our in our race gear and, and sneakers and everything and we we're both a little a little grody and smelly and everything <laughs> and uh we walked into the house and, and my wife was like yeah this is it this is it this is the one this is the one and the funny thing about that is like i was done like i didn't want to look i was like so dejected because we had found houses we put in offers um that had gotten rejected and you know we lost out on bids and it it, it, it was it was kind of uh, demotivating for me. Like I just wasn't interested. I was like, you know what? Let's just wait until after the winter, and then we can resume our search. You know, because then the holidays were going to come up, and we'd have to travel, and we had a lot of plans in line for that. So we walked into this house, and boom, she loved it. I loved it. We walk into the backyard. It's a great backyard. It had a big deck. Um, we have two dogs, so it was important for us that our dogs <laughs> be able to, uh, you know, have a nice yard. Um, you know, enjoy, they're both seniors. So to enjoy their, their golden years with us. Um, and yeah, we, we put in an offer, we won the bid. Uh, we went through the whole process of buying a house and uh, we closed uh, just before Christmas, 2019. So it was a big deal. It was a big to do and it was very exciting. Um you know, we moved in over the course of, you know, I would say, you know, January and then February, we had just finished getting everything in. Like we brought everything, we moved out of Brooklyn, we brought everything. We just had some cleaning, you know, some little things, little, little, little tidbits, but all of our furniture was out. Um, you know, we were fully moved in to our brand new house in New Jersey. Super exciting. We were commuting into the city. We were doing it for the first time. We were getting used to it, getting into the groove. Uh, we were finding our neighborhood grocery stores. We were finding our neighborhood pubs and our favorite, our new favorite restaurants and, and, and takeout places. Like who had the best pizza? Who's got the best Chinese food? You know, and all these little things to make it home. Right. Yeah. And, you know, right, right alongside of this, uh, you know, my wife was, She's big on Reddit, and she was following what was going on in China, uh, in in Wuhan with the coronavirus. And she was she told me she's like, you know, we should probably start stocking up, like just in case something happens here. 
um, you know, this is this is crazy. Like all the stories coming out of there. So she sent me a couple links, and I was like, yeah, you know, like I don't know. That that seems a little crazy. Like I don't know. I I, I was a skeptic, right? And I think early, you know, back in February, you know, everybody was kind of a skeptic here here in New York City. Like no one ever thought seriously that something like what's going on with COVID nineteen could actually happen like it still seemed out there like yeah okay maybe we'll get a couple of cases you know maybe a couple hundred cases but lockdowns there's no way <laughs> so she started stocking up she would go out and every time uh we went grocery shopping we got a little bit extra like just canned goods or um, you know extra paper extra uh sanitizing stuff cleaning material and whatnot so uh, I think it was, yeah, it was like the first week of March when um, the first cases were starting to get reported out of Washington State, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, my and, brother lives out in Seattle. Mm, yeah. And he was saying it was pretty bad out there back back then. But when that started to hit, um, interestingly enough, uh, so I, sidebar, I worked for the Discovery Channel, and we opened an office over in uh, in Bellevue, Seattle. And mm-hmm. um, uh, my boss was out there with uh, one of the teams, and they were they were building, they were helping to build, build out the technology in the office. <clears throat> so when they were out there, the cases got confirmed and everything. They actually had to go into quarantine. So when my boss came back, he was quarantined in his apartment before he was allowed to come back into the office. So the day he was allowed to come back into the office was the day it was announced that our office would be closing due to coronavirus in advance of the lockdown. That's (laughs) some timing. Yeah, well, Frig. It's okay. I remember the work. Yay. <laughs> so I remember it was uh it was Friday, uh I think it was March thirteenth. Yeah, it was March thirteenth. I, I I remember that day. Um we were it was the very last day I was in our New York office. And I remember leading up to it, starting to not necessarily um I don't know if alarmed or freaked out is like the right terminology to use. I was definitely becoming very aware of the potential problems with coronavirus and how it would impact the city and what it would mean for us moving forward. And I just started like kind of take into account like all my friends, my family, like what is it doing? Uh, Oh my God. Like, you know, what's going to happen next? Like this is, you know, our, our, Federal administration is just awful. They're not doing anything. They're just sitting around talking about nothing. Like, what's going to happen? And and just this overwhelming sense of uncertainty. And you know, how do we how do we manage? Uh, so office closed. Came home. You know, and thank God we got this house that we just moved into. Um, so we're no longer in Brooklyn in a condo with no outdoor space. We have a yard. We have a front yard. We have plenty of space. We have plenty of storage. We have, e- even before the whole panic about toilet paper and paper towels started, we were already stocked. We had no problem. <laughs> Every time we went grocery shopping for the entire like four month, four weeks prior, um, we had we had stocked up. 
we just got a little bit extra here, a little bit extra there. Yeah, that's one panic buy I never really quite understood. Well, I actually have an answer for that. If you are prepared oh, to hear it. Oh, do tell. Okay. So, um, it, it all comes down to supply chains. And uh, residential toilet paper is both made differently and has a different supply line from commercial toilet paper. So Yeah, one one's like sandpaper. Right, right, yeah. I guess Canada's not, not much different than from the U.S. <laughs> uh, so um, the supply line, uh, the actual pure supply of toilet paper was never in danger for the residential. But mm -hmm. we couldn't keep more people were buying it than ever before. So, you know, pre-COVID times, you would go to work, you know, generally speaking. You would go to work, you know, five days a week, you know, 40 hours a week, whatever, um, you know, and, and most of the time you'd be taking care of business, you know, when either, you know, you're at home or you're at work, you know, and, and, and the needs were split. The supply needs were kind of even, you know, like, yeah, they, you know, they rocketed back and forth every so often, you know, and depending on the season and the industry and whatnot, but for the most part, you know, people were doing, doing business at business. So when they came home, everybody came home, and the residential supply, you know, they just didn't have enough to keep up. So there was enough actual supply in the storehouses, but to get it to the stores in time, they just couldn't because stores were still operating on a normal, uh, a normal restock schedule. So they'd be ordering like normal, you know? And yeah, they might order an extra couple of cases of toilet paper, but no one anticipated the, the overwhelming need for toilet paper at that time. So nobody was quite prepared for it. And if, you know, let's say your grocery store, you know, and, and we'll take mine, for example, you know, it serves um, uh, 10,000 people in a community. Then it has enough toilet paper that it would generally be able to cycle out for all 10,000, you know, over the course of a couple of weeks, you know, as they were also going into work. But now that everybody's home, all those 10,000 people, you know, family units, they come in and they're like, well, we all need toilet paper. And the store is like, well, I've only got enough for maybe 100 of you right now. So come back next week and we can take care of another 100. And then you have to factor in. The people who panic buy and they're like oh well i need toilet paper for my entire family to last six months and i need it today so yeah you know i think that ladder took a bigger toll uh the panic buyers because mm -hmm. i saw like early on when i was uh, stocking up food because we didn't know what was going on uh, up here either um and i live near where they were quarantining uh people back in february so we started prepare a bit earlier but uh yeah i go into the grocery store and i'd buy pasta uh canned goods frozen vegetables frozen uh foods uh meat that i can freeze and all this stuff and then you know go down the toilet paper aisle and it is bare there's nothing there but all the everything else is pretty well in stock it, it was just the weirdest thing toilet paper and paper towels yeah. i really yeah. hope people didn't flush paper towels 
Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was just it was weird. And then, like, I I started doing the math in my household, family of four. I got two young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the the Kirkland Costco uh, toilet paper. Mm-hmm. One one pack of that will last five weeks in this household. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, not bad. You do the math. Just my kids are. Well, one of them likes to just clog the toilet. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and and on the other the other side of that coin, like, what are people's, you know, not, not to get too body humor here, but what are people's diets like? What are they eating that they need that much toilet paper? Well, there's already images like uh, about probably the end of mid end May, where people are trying to return a bunch of the panic bought toilet paper because they're not using it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which you know the return policies in a lot of stores were not really uh, changed, so they still could not return anything. Yep. 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 So and if if people had just you know bought what they normally would, and everybody stuck to their normal schedules then nobody would have had a problem. Yeah, it wouldn't have put that undue pressure on the mm-hmm. supply system. Um, so you work in New York City. You live in New Jersey now. How, like, and your office has been shut down for months at this point. Yep. How has that, um, how has, have you been bringing your work home? Or have you just been furloughed for the foreseeable future? Yeah, um, great question. And uh, I, I I say this on probably a weekly basis. Um, I'm extremely grateful. I'm extremely grateful to my company. Um, they've not only did they not lay anyone off, but even a lot of the production crew members, uh, they paid out their contracts, even if they were canceled. Um, and like a lot of freelance workers, you know, their contracts were paid out. So, you know, if if you were a crew member, let's say on a show that was filming and then all of a sudden coronavirus hit, boom, you know, uh, Discovery paid it out. Well, Discovery itself is not really hurting for money. They're still getting all that ad revenue in from their various channels and uh, other revenue streams. So it's understandable yeah, that they're able to pay that out. Yeah, it's definitely less than what it would normally be. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it is, you know. It is there. It is there. A lot of media companies in this time uh, have been struggling to figure out how to monetize their content. Um, mm-hmm. And unscripted content is is really where it's at. Like uh, for, for our part, um, you know, Food Network, you have uh, personalities like Guy Fieri. Uh, he's, he's able to actually do shows from his home. And yeah. a lot of these individuals have figured out, like, we can film with an iPad, with an iPhone. We can send the videos to our editors. The editors do it from home. And then, boom, we have a show. You know, it may not be, like, pers- you know, per- super professional, crazy lighting and, and awesome <laughs> scenes, but it's still something. And in yeah. this time when people are home and they want to connect with their favorite personalities, they can. And they see that, hey, you know, Guy Fieri, uh, uh, Barefoot Contessa, they're going through the same things that we're going through. They're stuck at home, you know? Yeah. And uh, it makes you realize that uh, these people are actually people. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, they, they have absolutely. a kitchen, they have a living room. 
Um, mm-hmm. The interesting thing is when you see like big names on TV and then they're recording from home, and you're like, oh, I, th- I thought you made more money than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, that that can be that can be a little bit jarring when you see just how close to reality they really are, and then you're like, oh, you're not so different. Yeah, yeah you're, yeah. you're a real person that has a cat yeah. that likes to knock over your plant like everyone yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, it's it's really funny. I was I was doing a, a thing with Bobby Flay uh, two weeks ago, and his cat kept jumping up on the counter. And right in the middle of our thing, he's like, "Oh, oh God, hold on, I got to get this cat out of here." <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it makes for more real reality television, like because that's what that's a, a cooking show is, and, and a lot of what the content on on Discovery is 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 reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh so it like this has brought a lot of that closer i guess to be able to you know you're really in the homes of these people that mm-hmm. you never would have thought you've seen and they're in your home cuz everyone is at home everyone's at home yeah, yeah. and well and uh to to my to my part um uh so i i work in the in in the audiovisual event field so I'm used to working with our executive team and our our uh, our production teams, and kind of just connecting uh, for meetings, you know, internationally, locally, uh, presenting content, and um, I guess uh, like upfronts, um, uh, advertising seminars, all different kinds of things, and it's. It was a little bit concerning at first, like, you know, what am I going to do from home? Because 99% of my job is in person. Like I, I'm micing people up, I'm running a soundboard, you know, I'm connecting visuals. I'm, you know, yeah. putting up PowerPoints and keynotes and running videos from a control room. You know, this is all happens from, you know, a live standpoint. So what am I going to do? And, uh, you know, with video conferencing technology today, um, Know, we use Zoom as our platform, uh, and we've actually been holding a lot of meetings, town halls, and been able to host it with some level of production professionalism behind it. Uh, it's never going to replace the live event experience. It's never going to you know, replace the feeling of walking onto a stage in front of a couple hundred people. You know, It's just never going to happen. But that said, right now, where people are stuck from home and they need to hear the voices of, um, you know, their their leaders in their office, you know, their their bosses, their executives, their leadership team, where they need to know what the company is doing, and being able to produce that at a level that is both professional, organized, and clear and transparent. That's a real blessing at this point in time. Yeah, and. Oh, I wish I knew that Zoom was going to blow up because I would have bought so many stocks. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. Like the my my government, uh, the Canadian government uses Zoom as a virtual parliament for Pete's sake. So it, it's mm. it's just it, it has exploded. Like, did you hear of Zoom like really at all before COVID? I did, yeah, but then again, but I'm in it, the audiovisual field, so yeah, but like yeah. it wasn't in the the, the lexicon of nor- normal people, right? right. Uh, when you think right. of video conferencing, everyone thought of Skype. When everyone's talking to people, it's always on Facebook Messenger. 
with uh, Facebook yeah. video. And now Zoom, everyone's like, oh, you're going to Zoom that? Yep. It's become a verb. Yeah, it's 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 entered the lexicon. And I don't think it's ever going to leave, at least not until it's replaced by something else. Yeah. yeah. And that's just quite uh, – that's actually quite interesting that, that that's happened. Um, you wouldn't have thought that that – well, you wouldn't have thought that the company, Zoom, would have exploded the way it did and that it's now become an actual – thing that people talk about on a daily basis. Like we have well, Zoom parties. That, yeah, yeah, Zoom happy hours, uh, Zoom fatigue. There's also Zoom fatigue, you know, like too many video conferences, too many calls. Yeah, staring at a freaking uh, screen in a camera all day and just to do work that way. It, yep. I'm, I'm lucky I'm still at work hands-on with people uh, with obviously uh, appropriate distancing and other health uh, health regulations involved, but mm. I, I'm fairly lucky there. But uh, yeah, it's just this whole COVID has just thrown society under the bus. Yeah, I don't know that um, our society will, uh, at least in this in this hemisphere, will properly recover to what we had known it to be. I think there will be some significant shifts in policy, um, both domestic and foreign, uh, and as well as just individual habits changing. Well, I, I wear a mask whenever I go shopping. If I'm in a place where... Um, 100%, 100%, wear the mask. Yeah, it, it's the, the least thing you can do to help prevent the spread is just wear a freaking mask. I, I really don't get yep. the whole argument of, I can't wear a mask. Look, I, I, I've found out recently that my lung capacity was reduced by 15%. They don't know why. I'm assuming it's related to work. Um, but, yeah, it's hard to breathe in um, a disposable surgical mask or a thick cloth mask, uh, especially on hot and humid days. Like, it was 36 mm-hmm. degrees uh, Celsius uh, with humidity mm-hmm. today. Um, I didn't, it was it, hot today. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was ridiculous. But... Yeah. Like just the simple task of wearing a mask, you you put it on before you enter the building or before you get to where the lineup is, you enter the building, the building's air conditioned, it's a grocery store or it's a hardware store or it's whatever store you're going into. So it's, it's air conditioned. So you're not going to get the humidity. You're not going to get the heat. And that's 90% of the, the problems with breathing related issues with wearing a mask. Yep. Yep. Also, the, the other ten percent is wearing an inappropriate mask for your face. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Uh, uh, my wife and I went out to um, a local brewery here, and uh, in order to, you know, we, we do have outdoor dining is currently open in New Jersey, um, mm-hmm. and the the deal is you walk up to they have their their dock is open the brewery's dock, uh, where they would normally just load the trucks and they opened it. Um, and the girl sits there and she takes your order. You swipe your card and she hands you the beer and a, and a little plastic cup. Um, and you go and you sit at the tables, which are distance apart. You know, it's, it's a beautiful area. And, and actually it's kind of set up like a, like Jurassic park a little bit because where, where we are in New Jersey, there, there's a lot of marshes around and, you know, a lot of dinosaurs used to roam here, you know, about 70 million years ago. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really cool. It's a cool setup. 
and they put little like blow up inflatable dinosaurs inside the the tall grass so if you look in the right way you'd be like ah oh, there's a velociraptor <laughs> um but yeah it's it, they have like some cool picnic tables under a big tent and like a uh, big big oak barrels that you can stand around and you know you you have to walk up you have your mask on you order uh, they give you your drink. You go sit down, and once you sit down, you can take your mask off. You know, because then you're distanced, you're away. But anytime you stand up to to move around the area, you gotta have your mask on. Gotta, and that's the way it has to be done right now. Like I see a lot of people, they're just flaunting it. They're like, "Oh, I'm not around anyone. I'm not around anyone." But look, Sean, like this virus, it's airborne. It has to be. You know, well, like if you're not wearing not- a mask. It's it's not airborne in the sense of an airborne um, aerosol style virus, or mm-hmm. in that idea, it's airborne in the sense that if you breathe heavily, uh, if you talk heavily, if you cough or sneeze, um, the droplets it, that are your saliva, you know, they they can hang out in the air, and those droplets, if you're infected, yep. will contain the virus right. itself. So they'll hang in the air for as long as they'll hang there. And then you'll yep. settle on a surface like it's, but that's if you're not wearing a mask, if you're wearing a mask, those droplets don't leave your face and it's not going to affect you because you're already infected. So wear a mask. It, it's yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we, uh, up here, we, they have opened outdoor dining as well. Uh, it, we have, I think, we've been around 200 cases confirmed a day. Mm-hmm. And I think most of those are with our, uh, migrant farm workers. At least, mm-hmm. uh, the last big one I, I saw was, uh, there's only about 80 some odd confirmed cases outside of the one area where those workers were present. Mm-hmm. Um, but before then the government announced that they could deliver beer. <laughs> you could deliver alcohol with your food, be- with your, with your food order. Cause mm-hmm. they had, delivery and they had pickup still available for throughout all of this and you could pick up alcohol and you could pick up or or have alcohol delivered with your food and that was a that that had never happened before here Mm, yeah i don't know if it's like that down down in new jersey or in uh in new york but um, it was but they they actually lifted that restriction uh due to this yeah it was keeping these restaurants afloat um, and luckily my, my favorite breakfast joint, uh, they just recently opened up cause they bought a whole bunch of uh, picnic tables and set them up outside. I haven't been yet, uh, since they reopened, but it's, I, I can't wait to go. <laughs> oh man. I love breakfast. That's one thing I definitely miss. Um, uh, we have a, uh, we have a diner that's not too far. And one big thing for me historically has always been like Saturday morning, you know, getting up, going to the diner, getting the, the eggs and the bacon, you know, and the big biscuit, you know, uh, just coffee, you know, and the and the waitress comes over. She's like, hey, sweetheart, can I get you a refill on your coffee? You know, and she's got that. <laughs> and she looks exactly how she sounds. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. just picturing as a woman with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. Yeah, basically, just everything without the cigarette, the long nails and the stringy hair. Yeah. Uh, no, th- this place ah. that I, I go to, they, it's a diner setup in a way, um, in a relatively new build. But they have like the diner counter, and you pay for your food at the the counter, and and uh, yeah, it's it's really nice. They have really good food. Uh, they have a breakfast poutine, which um, mm. which is 
I don't know if you know what a Putin is, but it I do. It, it is like God's gift to the world. This is the concept of a poutine without the uh, the French fries. They use uh, home fries and uh, gravy. Yeah. They use hollandaise sauce. And then they add a whole bunch of other stuff in there because it's breakfast. And then an egg on top. And it is absolutely Ooh. delicious. It's also probably going to give me a heart attack if I keep eating them. But, you know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I, uh, I I have a friend, Neil, who is a big fan of your of your homeland up there. Uh, and he talks about poutine like all the time. And there was a place not too far from where I live over in Jersey City, New Jersey, that apparently does, according to him, it does a very good uh, poutine. Yeah, well, every single poutine's a facsimile, facsimile unless you get it out of Quebec. But uh, that's, that's just to appease the uh, Quebecois because they will hunt you down. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I've made poutine at home, and it's it's not hard. It doesn't taste quite as good, but it's still oh, pretty never delicious. Well. Well. But yeah, if uh, uh, anyone listening to this, go get a poutine. It is they are to die for. Literally, you will want to die if you don't get one after having now, one. Now, I would be remiss if talking about uh, uh, regional cuisine. Um, I, I, I am born and bred from this great state of New Jersey, and we have a particular meat, a spiced meat called Taylor ham. And Taylor ham is a pork product that you will not find anywhere else, anywhere. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, I've never heard of it. Unless you very specifically <laughs> order it. Um, it is absolutely phenomenal. There is no way to explain it. Um, some people uh, mistakenly believe that it's Canadian bacon. Uh, it is not that whatsoever. It is not bacon. It is, um, I, 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 there is no other meat product like it. Just, just is, for the record. all I can say. Uh, just for the record, we don't call it Canadian bacon. You just call it bacon? We call it female. We call bacon Ooh. bacon. It's, it's, bacon, it's bacon. female ham or female bacon, depending on. Yeah, that's fair. That's and right. it is delicious, especially when you fry it up on a, on a skillet. Mm. A little bit of butter. Or, or barbecue. Mm. You know, cook it up on the barbecue. Oh, smoke it. Just smoke it. Oof. Uh, yeah, it's, it's delicious. But just just set the record straight, my American friend. We call bacon bacon. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's... That's one thing that, like, we, uh, for the longest time during this lockdown, we avoided mm-hmm. takeout um, and avoided stuff, uh, avoided takeout, delivery, all that stuff until we were got a little bit complacent. Uh, not necessarily complacent, but we we're like, I just don't want to cook. Yes. Oh so, you know, I got two, two young kids. I'm like, we're ordering pizza. So yeah. we've had we've had takeout a couple times, uh, probably six times, mostly in the last uh, month and a half. Mm-hmm. But it is, uh, I just can't wait till I can order takeout food or delivery food without having to wonder, am I going to get COVID if I eat this pizza? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm honestly not worried about that sort of thing. It's, I just. I guess there's only so much worrying you can do about how you're going to contract it. You know, 
and and like at some point you just have to accept certain risks and with takeout that's one of them like i will gladly order takeout i will you know any time of the day week anything we probably do it maybe once twice a week because we're you know it's just the two of us and breakfast lunch dinner you know cooking the constant cleaning the constant you know putting things away yeah. buying ingredients you know at some point you're just like give me a break yeah and the dishes pile up real fast yep. especially if you don't have a dishwasher which we don't mm. so i'm the one who usually washes all the dishes so it's, it's i i feel yeah. for you yeah it's fun yeah. but yeah. yeah it's i just can't wait for all this to be a note in the history book <laughs> yeah yeah but who knows when that's gonna happen because we have well up here we're getting less and less cases every day but from what I've seen on the news, it's not the case down there. No, no. Um, so here in New Jersey, we've we've implemented, I say we, but the, the governor implemented a new quarantine law uh, as of a week and a half ago for travelers outside of the immediate area. And if you're coming from a lot of the hotspot areas of the United States currently, uh, it's demanded that you self-quarantine for 14 days. Um, you check in with the state. You're supposed to provide where you're going, what you're doing, what you're coming in for. Um, and people who are not residents of New Jersey have to go through a whole another process. Um, it's it's kind of confusing and a little unclear. And also, I do have to question how enforceable a lot of it is. Uh, but I get it, you know, they have to do something to kind of stave off, you know, people just from being like, oh, well, you know, my state has, you know, 6,000 new cases today. Maybe I'll go get an Airbnb in New York and Jersey and just hang out for a couple of weeks until it all blows over, you know? Yeah, we've had the, well, I'm sure you're aware that the Canada-U.S. border has been closed for at least two months yep. now at this point. Uh, we, like... The, there's only, I think, a couple, like a handful of reasons to enter Canada from the United States. Uh, traveling to Alaska uh, and checking on property. Um, mm. And they've discovered that, lo and behold, it's being abused. Uh, mm. They had people that entered Canada to, to quote-unquote, travel to Alaska, and they traveled straight to Banff, uh, which is a national park in, mm. uh, in the Rockies. And when question but that they said oh we're here for vacation they hmm. were fined um money for that good good then there was uh back with them then there was two people an elderly couple well not elderly but uh, i think they're in their late 60s they crossed into uh canada at fort francis uh, which is uh about 14 hours from where i am but in the same province <laughs> um, huh. yeah it's a big place they crossed over and then were told you travel straight to your destination and isolate you are required by law to isolate in Canada if you're traveling from outside of the country for a period of 14 days oh. and they were then seen shopping um, in Fort Francis and oh my god they were then fined and charged under the quarantine act which uh is I think it's a thousand dollars a person, and then whatever the quarantine Oof. punishment is. 
So like I, I just I just I, I can't under understand that I, I just I'm I'm literally at a loss for words because I cannot fully grasp how cavalier so many people are about this. Well, I, I in in my in my observations, um, people are complacent or they're just I don't know anyone who's been affected by it or, you know, Jim down the street had it. And he's, he didn't go to the hospital. So it must not be that bad. Whereas when you look mm, at the numbers, yeah. when you look at the numbers uh, of known cases, this is just known cases about, it has about a 95%, 95 to 94%, depending on where you are, uh, survival rate, mm-hmm. which sounds great. Except for when you compare it to, say, the flu, which has like right. a 99.999% survival rate. Right. And then people are like, oh, yeah, well, they're not taking account asymptomatic cases. Okay, let's assume that there's double the amount. So you have a 25 to 3% death rate, or let's triple it. So that's, you know, less than 2% to 2%. That's mm-hmm. still ridiculously high. Like the Spanish flu killed, I believe it's between 2 and 3% of all people who are infected with it. Right. And that killed upwards of a hundred million people. And that was just a hundred years ago. And people are just so complacent. So just, it just drives me crazy that they're ignoring science, like science we've known for a long time with regards to wearing the masks and keeping your distance and, you know, don't go to a party or don't sit right next to those other people at the beach, go to the beach, but keep your distance. It, it's it's really ridiculous, and it it makes you wonder how we're surviving as a society. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like our situation up here is vastly different than your situation uh, down down uh, below the forty ninth parallel, right? And it's 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 um, so for somehow in some way it has been politicized to a point where people wearing masks are now like part of a liberal hoax and not wearing a mask is somehow the tough guy, you know, freedom and, 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 you know, big muscles, you know, guns, freedom, everything. Um, I'm all just... f- I'm all for guns. Uh, I own guns, um, but you know I own them responsibly. I'm all for masks, and I'm all for not wearing masks. But I wear my mask responsibly, meaning when I I'm wear my people, mask responsibly. Yes, when I'm around people uh, outside <laughs> of my immediate bubble, yep. which is my family. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you go grocery shopping. You know, most people pick up an item, they look at it, and they put it back on the shelf. that is a vector for disease transmission. Yes. So if you're not wearing a mask, you pick it up, you look at it, you bring it towards your face. You're looking directly at it. You're breathing on it. You know, let's say you washed your hands when you entered the store, used the hand sanitizer or whatever at the store entrance. So you walk into the store, you pick up the jar of peanut butter. You look at the fat content or the calorie count or whatever it is you want to look at the vitamin D that they added to it for some reason. And then you look at it, it's like, oh, that doesn't have enough of what I want on it. And you put it back. Now I'll say you're infected. Yep. Say you're an asymptomatic carrier. 
now you've just most likely put infection on that jar of peanut butter. So now Mm -hmm. Betty down the aisle, who is 82 years old and can't have someone go out shopping for her, who's shopping when she can with the money that she can scrounge together. She likes peanut butter. It's a good source of protein. She grabs that jar. Three weeks later, she's in the ICU. A week later, she's on a ventilator. Like people just don't make those connections. And it's it's all about frustrating. Frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating, especially when you try and show them the science behind it. And they're like, oh, it's not real. That's 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 not true. It's fake. It's like, are are you are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Are are you are you fine right now? Yeah. All that stuff is just. It's again, like I'm I'm just so speechless as to how something and it, it feels. Here's the thing. Like, I understand that there's a little bit of a, you know, in terms of the CDC for the U.S. and, you know, a lot of the, the leading news organizations, they say, okay, well, you know, do this. And then a week later, they say, oh, it doesn't seem to be working. You should do this instead. And so people react. They're like, well, if you don't know, then why should I believe you? But with a situation like this, where the information is evolving at such a rapid pace, where strategy one might be your go-to in the beginning, and then you find it doesn't work, so now we're shifting the strategy two, you know, and they don't they don't roll these out willy-nilly. It's not like let's just try it. You know, there's a plan. There is science. There is um, you know control groups. There are test groups, you know, and, and, and then they say, okay, let's all do this together collectively, and that will stem the spread of the virus. That's why the virus didn't hit that hard in, say, South Korea and Japan, especially when they mm-hmm. had their second waves, because they have mass mask wearing compliance. Yep. Even Cross the board. Yeah, dur- during flu season, it's not uncommon to see everyone wearing masks uh, to prevent the spread of the viruses. Mm-hmm. and. With regards to what you just said, um, it's July 2020. The first cases of this virus were discovered in North America in February? Yeah, it remains to be seen if it was earlier or not. I There's... personally believe it was earlier, but yeah, yeah. But yeah. like the, the main confirmed, the yeah. confirmed cases was, was mi- like mid-late February. Right. And... and you have to, and it's a brand new virus that we've never seen before, though it is related to SARS, which uh, might have helped uh, Canada be able to uh, better have better protocols in place. Mm-hmm. That will probably come into some sort of uh, review of everything because we had the SARS uh, mm-hmm. epidemic back in 2002, 2003. But, you know, it's only been about five and a half months that this virus has existed in North America that we know of. So it's, it's really easy to tell, uh, to understand why, okay, we're going to do a, okay. A's not working. Let's go to B. B's not working. Let's go to C. C's not working. That country has, has had good use of H. Let's go to H because we're trying to figure it out and we're, we hit the ground running and it's not going to slow down until we get this thing under control. You just got to work at it. You just got to work at it. 
Yeah. A lot of people just don't seem to care. They're just like, oh, well, that doesn't work. Well, then I'm just going to go do whatever I want anyway. Yeah. <sighs> and you know what? Those people are COVID idiots. COVID idiots. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. It's almost been about 40 minutes of recording. So. Yeah. Um, well, is it, thanks for coming on. Uh, it, once again, you can plug your podcast. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate you having me. Um, my name is Mike. I have a podcast about Star Trek Discovery called We Are Starfleet. You can find it on all your favorite uh, podcast streaming networks. We are part of the We Made Treks network. Uh, yeah, Sean, thanks again, man. This was, uh, this was fun. It's, you know, it, it's cliche to say we live in unprecedented times, but we truly do. Oh, it's, it's good times, though. depending where you're sitting yes (laughs) okay everybody stay home stay healthy